The Guardian Legend. Long ago, in a distant galaxy, an alien race sent a huge world, Naju, hurtling towards Earth, loaded with a cargo of mysterious life forms. Welcome to Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. Joe, the uh, back of the box starts with long ago in a distant galaxy. It's kind of Star Wars, right? Like, Doesn't ring any bells. Doesn't ring any bells at all. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess they're just, you know, they're going with the tropes. You know, it's a good, it's a good, uh, good way to get your, your space opera fans. <laughs> The one, the one example of, of space opera with galaxies long ago. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> and also, you know, the Guardian legend, right? I don't think immediately of, like, uh, a shmup, that's for sure. I definitely don't think I'm about to play a shmup, but uh, I also wouldn't expect an adventure game. The Guardian legend, to me, sounds like an RPG. Sean, what kind of game did you think we were going to play? Uh, yeah, I didn't have any real... Uh, prediction for what the genre was going to be but setting i was way off i when i I heard guardian legend i thought this was going to be sort of like a sword and sorcery sort of thing and not so much a sci-fi thing i just say it does sort of like give me the vibe of like that's why i said space opera i mean partially because of star wars but also like gives me that vibe of like a like a sword and sorcery thing that was set in a futuristic setting so I, i i get it maybe it's just the title that does that for me the title just confuses me like you know just syntaxically if that's a word, um, I, I, we, I think we were talking about this in the sort of, you know, rump of the last episode. I, I don't really get what a better I, th- I think a, like the legend of the Guardian would make more sense. But that's just me. Legend of the Guardian sounds good, but I would argue that the Guardian legend is just fine because, uh, you know, that would be like that. That's more of like the title. You know, the Guardian legend is what people refer to that legend as. Any biters? <laughs> I would say I think it's kind of uh, yeah, it's like it adds to a little bit of a mystery to it. It's it's not it's not quite in the way that like the the layman vernacular would say it. Am I a layman to you? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we've talked a lot about the title, and we've talked a lot about what this game could or maybe sounds like it is based on just the title alone. But it was kind of surprising to find out that this is an action adventure shmup game where you control a a humanoid robot who can also transform into a spaceship and uh, is obviously known as the Guardian, that's her name, and in a quest to destroy a large alien-infested world, which uh, I think we refer to in the back of the box as Naju, uh, which could be Naboo, again, just more Star Wars stuff. <laughs> However, since this game is 89 and Naboo was 2001 or something... I think, uh, you know, George Lucas probably watched a lot of the Guardian legend as he was preparing for his uh, prequel films. Oh, yeah, I think I saw that in one of the the behind the scenes, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. He watched it, he didn't play it. His his big brother was playing it, and he had to watch. Right, right, exactly. Everybody (laughs) remembers Steve Lucas. 50-year-old. So, 
action shmup, adventure shmup, action adventure shmup, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, have we seen something like this before on the NES where like two genres get merged into one game? Uh, yeah, the we- closest thing we saw was like Blaster Master was kind of like this, right? Where you get, you get in your vehicle, you get your vehicle combat. I guess it's not really necessarily like a different. It doesn't change from like a from like a scrolling shmup into like something else, but it definitely it, it changed the context of yeah, of definitely each like battle. different modes of play. Um, yeah, I think this is uh, one of the most. Like, there's a bigger disparity between the like the genres uh, that we've seen in prior implementations of this. Um, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think we've had a shmup with. Um, maybe we have. I feel like we had to have, right? <laughs> what a shmup with another <laughs> another kind of game tacked on. No, I I feel like every shmup we have played so far on the system has has been a shmup with Street maybe shmup. some sort of like you know uh, experience system attached to it. You know, yeah. I think we've had a couple of games that I wouldn't primarily consider shmups that suddenly had like shmup element, like the reverse. Like what was I think like Golgo thirteen had like oh, you, yeah. you, the helicopter shmup, which is like a little mini game that you that you do every couple of levels. And I think there was like one other like that where it's like, oh, now you're on the shmup part, and now you're back in your regular part. Like the shmup was like an aside, yeah. whereas this it almost feels like fifty fifty. Yeah, we've definitely played games that have like genre combinations, but they're a lot more like half baked, I'd say. Yeah. And so the the shmup side is very familiar to developer of this game Compile because they're known for making some of the best shmups of all time. And so I think, you know, there's the shmup part of this game, and we'll break these all down later, but there's the shmup part of this game that is very much like how we've been playing these and how we experience them. But the action-adventure side chose more of a uh, Legend of Zelda and uh, Metroid-style approach where it is that, you know, top-down dungeon interface from legend of zelda but i also say metroid because you can choose to to skip objects to to wait for later to collect certain things you can go back you can skip certain areas so it was interesting to see a game where the you know like it's 50 50 between the shmup and the zelda part but the the zelda part is definitely um the more consequential part of it because that really depends on what you do in terms of power-ups and upgrades and exploration and the shmup side is more like the minigame explanation of how you travel between the different areas on the planet yeah i'd say yeah. the time you spend in this uh the zelda like uh sort of setting uh, is much higher than the amount of time you're playing the shmup yeah but i'll say that you know for and for a group of well, I, I can't speak for you guys, obviously, but but none of us really love shmups, am I right? Normally, I'm a pretty big fan. Okay, maybe I'm projecting. I'm okay. So we got like the Goldilocks thing. I hate yeah. shmups, but um, <laughs> but I was actually found myself like looking forward to the shmup sections, and I think that they found like a perfect balance for it. Like it was really, it felt like I was collecting shmup levels. Like, it felt like I was like, that. that's my goal. Like, I gotta get to the next shmup part. But getting there was really fun and finding it. And then I found it and I'm like, oh, here we go. Another shmup. Which is like, not what I the bite ever size wanted shmup, before. Which is the perfect huh? size shmup. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like another little thing. Like, oh, if I get this, I've, it, it just gives you a really good sense of progress. So yeah. I, I think that that, this is for me, like, the perfect amount of shmup. 
Is shmup sounding weird to anyone else? We're saying it enough times now. But yeah. I would say, Joe, I agree with you. But also, like, it's really cool how all of this, whether, you know, depending on which genre of the game you're playing or which part of the game you're in, it's all explained um, very coherently in the story, you know? Uh, the the idea that, like, you know, you start uh, in the shmup form and you're kind of entering the planet and, uh, you're, you know, you're hitting Area Zero uh, you know, that's smart and everything like that, but that's just like, you know, okay, that's expected. Like, that's just the start of the game or whatever. But then to have, like, the lore explained to you uh, while you're playing and then, like, uh, the exploration aspect, like, things slowly get revealed to you. But then also where the shmup part comes in again to get you from area zero to one to two is a really neat way of, like, telling that in the story of how you're getting between the areas. And I don't think we've really seen too many games that care about mixing story and gameplay you know i think not not to its fault but like ninja gaiden was one of those things where like story was only ever delivered in cutscenes after you finish levels and that's fine but it's cool to see it done while you're playing the game yeah and that said i mean most of the story is still uh like text on a screen um which is still sort of impressive to me because like i'd say 90 percent of the games on this platform leave the story to exist within the contents of the manual. Um, so I'm still happy about that. But uh, I do also agree that uh, I, I really appreciated this game's use of uh, like sort of contextual or like interactive storytelling where the actual things that you're doing for the within the game make sense to the game world, which is like another line that hasn't really been crossed too much uh, in the games that we've played. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Like, instead of you having to... Instead of it feeling like every once in a while the game tells you a little more of the story, it's like like you're organically uncovering what's happening. You're, you're discovering it for yourself as you go. It feels more like you're actually on this adventure rather than, like, being your hand being held. Yeah. Environmental storytelling. That's sort of what I meant. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. And I think, you know, uh, the difference is, of course, is just... Most video games, uh, you know, especially back then, were just broken up in, like, level formats, right? Like, I think Metroid and probably Zelda 2 were the only ones where it was, like, continuous gameplay from beginning to end where, uh, you know, like, you were just exploring the world and constantly unlocking new things. And this fits kind of nice with those with those games. And we're going to bring them up a lot because there's just a lot of parallels to them. I just found it surprising that... I've never heard of the Guardian Legend before. Like, I'm not trying to hype the game up or anything, but when you say Legend of Zelda and Metroid, and then talk about other games in that category, you know, the fact that we're talking about the Guardian Legend, it's kind of surprising, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah, the fact that I still didn't know what sort of world this game took place in uh, sort of speaks to that. Um, I it, And, like, it's so, it's so, it's still such an early game that you'd think that, it would still be talked about, uh, even if they thought it was bad, like as like an early attempt of uh, of future exploratory games.
So let's talk about that top-down uh, exploration mode when you're the in the humanoid form first, because that is the bulk of the game. Uh, we describe this as Zelda-like, you know, when you're in the dungeons, uh, you know, you have your grid and you move between uh, squares to uncover new parts of the area. It's all non-linear, though, and it's represented, uh, your your space in the layout of the labyrinth is, like, in X and Y. So you're in, like, X8, Y9, and you move accordingly to find new stuff. What did we think of just, like, the exploration as a whole as you're going through this? Should it have been more guided? Was it fun to explore? Was it helpful that there was a, a map of some sorts, like a mini-map? Did that help? Uh, Joe, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think it, I, I really appreciate this kind of gameplay if it's done right, where there's a lot of, like, you, you uncover things that you can't access yet, and you have to figure out how, and then come back to it. And, and it... I, now, admittedly, I didn't beat this game. I actually, after watching some videos afterwards, like, realized this is a really long game, so I, I, I definitely have a lot more to go. But, like, I was getting to a point where I was starting to know my way around different sections of of the planet, you know, um, and I think that was because it organically makes me remember, like, oh, okay, there's this, uh, what do you call them, like a doorway or a gateway or whatever here that I, that I don't have unlocked. Later on, I unlock moon doors, and then I'm like, oh, there was a moon door back there, and you figure that out. And I think that that was, like, a good way to get you to, like, enjoy the exploration, because, you you know, you're going through, you're fighting all these enemies on the screens and stuff, and it, could, it would be easy for it to all just kind of blur together, but it gives you reason to contextualize where you are in the world. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the, uh, I, I like what they did with this. I think the one thing that I had a problem with, uh, was how, uh, if it's going to be a game this big and if it's going to be a labyrinth, um, I need a little bit more set dressing, I think, uh, because a game this big, a game this long, uh, the, the, the majority of your game time is going to be sort of on like in these same hallways with the same like sort of color scheme. I don't know if it bothered you guys as much as it bothered me. And I do know that there are other um, there are other like sort of tile sets later in the game when you get into different areas. But um, I did think that the environments felt a little samey. For sure, the the environments definitely have that problem. Uh, you know where. If you didn't have the X and Y markings on the map, uh, I, I would be um, I would be very lost at times because I'd be unsure if like I was just heading around in a circle or or what have you. But also like there's another problem with everything looking the samey in the sense of if you have to explore, you know, if you're the kind of gamer that I am and you have to explore everything anyway just to make sure you don't miss any particular things. I mean, it's not like these are. It's not like there's secrets to uncover. It's just that, like, make sure you visit every place to find all the different uh, power-ups that you could find before you move on to the next area. When you play like that, uh, you know, it doesn't really help to make it, uh, you know, have a lot of backtracking and have a lot of, like, oh, I'm not quite sure if I've been here before. Like, it would have been helpful if the mini-map maybe had, like, a way that you could eventually unlock, like, where the... Uh, where the power-ups are, or if you collected that power-up, so you know, like, okay, I shouldn't head back that way. Uh, it's definitely, I'm not I'm not asking for it to hold my hand or anything like that. I wouldn't want it to tell me which order and where to go for things. But 
you know, for me, the exploration was missed a little because instead I was just kind of making sure that I hit every single XY coordinate. Yeah, and yeah. when there isn't, like, anything special about any one tile aside from, like, this is where this key is or this is where this pickup is, uh, it it's not as fun to navigate. Like, if there were some, like, cool... Uh, like, if this tile was the one with the, uh, I don't know, the, like, ruined building in it, or if there were just more, uh, um, if there were just more unique landmarks, I think I could have gotten behind it a bit more. Yeah, I hear what you're saying now, too. And I, and I think that, like, even with the obstacles, there are always those, like, tile yeah. cover things. Like, where in Zelda you have, like, a tree, and you have, you know, a rock. And things yeah. like that, or there's just like nothing like that there. Um, although I will say to the um, idea of having making it a little more clear where the power ups are, I'm—I mean, I'm not sure, but I—I I imagine that it, the intent wasn't for people to play the way that a lot of people like us play now today, where it's like we got to get everything, got to unlock everything. Because I do sort of like the idea that it's like if I'm if, if we're not playing like that and we're just playing and seeing what we end up with and like going where we need to go and whatever power ups we find along the way, we get. It's kind of cool that like I can compare my character to your character and we can have like totally different power sets. And I think yeah. that's kind of like neat. It makes it a little more like personalized to like your journey. Now, the only yeah, problem there, Joe, is that the the shmup stages, which we aren't going to talk about right now, uh, you know, they're pretty darn hard, especially later on. And you can use the power ups that you collect in the humanoid form as your shmup form. So. I would argue that you want a lot of those power-ups to help uh, to help you during the shmup stages. So you kind of do want to make sure you collect a lot of that stuff, because if you're like me and didn't collect some of those things, you're going to have a really hard time getting through the shmup stages. Oh, do you necessarily think that you need all of them? Like, I feel like for, for the shmup stages I did, I usually would find one that works really well for that stage. Yeah, you're right. But, you like, I wouldn't switch between them too much, so, like... And then maybe that would also give me a reason to be like, all right, well, I'm not ready for this yet. I got to go find some, I got to go find some stuff, you know, like explore. But yeah, then, then it wouldn't hurt to, I guess, have like a map to some of it or something like that. But that, what you mentioned uh, with the, the weapons working in, in both gameplay elements um, is what I, I think this game really, like really made this something new was um, not only do you have this really cool animation of your uh, of your uh, your space girl turning into a freaking fighter jet? But then all of those weapons that you're using on the overworld also have an equivalent in the uh, in the shmup game space. Uh, I thought that that was just really neat and really uh, and really polishy. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah, I yeah. thought I thought it was a really nice touch too. You know, we didn't talk about the combat in, in when you're the humanoid form, which thankfully is not a uh, melee weapon like Link's sword. It's actually uh, a gun that you that you shoot off. And for some reason, I couldn't tell or not, but like, it looks like it has really good rapid fire even from the start. Like, I think it gets more rapid, but it shoots it shoots pretty constantly if you hold it down. And I appreciated that, but also just the idea that like when you're dealing with enemies on screen, it's a little different than how you dealt with them in Zelda because now you take on everything from a distance. You don't really want to be close to these spawning enemies. Um, and so, you know, we were talking about, like, you know, okay, I've been here before, and it's a chore to find that out and then get out of it, but it's really not because backtracking and getting from 
tile to tile is actually pretty easy in this game because you can run through uh through tiles before everything spawns or you can shoot at things and take care of them from a distance i appreciated the combat in this zelda like clone uh aspect of it because of the projectile versus melee weapon yeah um and i think uh like they they made it so that you can you could skip any fight you could skip any encounter, um, but they would the the economy of the game only works if you do fight some of these and sometimes they will just straight up get in your way. Um, so I think that they had a good balance of how much combat you uh, could or could not enter uh, actually enter. Um, so yeah, I agree with with that. Yeah, yeah, and it also I mean it might. Am I crazy here? Or do you level up based on your score? Maybe. I, I leveled up and my, my health went up a few times randomly and I assumed it, it was always like while well, I was killing things. So I just assumed it's like, <laughs> oh, the more things you kill, the more you level up. So like that incentivized me again to to attack and not just run through everything, you know. But it also never felt like I needed to go grind. Maybe it will later in the game, but so far it hasn't felt like that. Yeah, it never felt like a grind, that's for sure. And also because there's these power chips that you have to collect as well that, um, you know, basically that's the the power chips power up your power ups, uh, if that makes sense. But you have like 50 of these to start. And then once you run out, you can't use your, uh, we'll call them sub weapons. So we know keep saying power chips, power ups. These sub weapons can't be used once you don't have any more power chips. But you also use your power chips to buy upgrades in the shops that you find in these areas, which is a little weird that these this like alien planet that is hurtling towards <laughs> the earth also has shops on it that you can buy sub weapons <laughs> to take down the said planet. But whatever. Um, so, you know, when you do that with the power chips, it's cool that they're they're a currency and they also are used to fire your sub weapons. But I couldn't help feel like it was a little easy to manage the spend versus fire because the the normal combat weapon that you have is pretty darn good against most of the um, the top down combat parts of the game. Even the the sub bosses that you find when they like lock you into that current tile, you know, like an alarm goes off and then all of a sudden you're locked in and you have to fight the sub boss. Even that sub boss can be taken down with just your usual weapon so you don't have to use sub weapons that often and when you do it either doesn't cost a lot of power chips or you can probably find power chips in a nearby tile pretty easily i never found i never felt like i was running out of this cash yeah well i actually felt like um i used the sub weapons quite a bit like probably most of the time I, or i was like using both hitting both a and b at the same time not you just like I using a like lightsaber blast What's that? <laughs> you just like using that lightsaber. Uh, the the two-sided one? There's a yeah, I think well, first it's just first it's just like a beam sword, right? Like it's just Yeah. Yeah, and, and then, then I, 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 I think I had that one. Times, I had uh, like a double-sided beam yeah. sword. I think that's the upgrade, yeah. Oh, okay. I must have I must have not even used it while it was normal and up, upgraded it or something. 
the reason that I was using these sub-weapons a lot was not necessarily because I thought my blaster wasn't good enough, but because it helped me to not die a lot. It helped me kill things quick enough that they wouldn't hit me first. So, like, it was fun to kind of see, like, oh, okay, there's a, there's a crowd of people. I'm going to use the... There's, like, the one that circles around you, and that'll take out... It's, like, good for crowd control. And then there's other that are just more powerful versions of your blaster. And there's one that'll just go in a straight line and kill everything on that path. And, like, there's a lot of reasons to switch up. So, like, I ended up using them, actually, most of the time. Yeah, I did appreciate that they actually seem to have, uh, like, a utility. They're, they're not just... They're not just, like, for fun. Like, there's been a lot of games that they have power-ups, but they're, like, there's either, like, one that's obviously the most efficient and, and there's no reason to use the others or... Uh, so, yeah, I like that these sort of had different use cases. I think the one that I found uh, to be the most useful in, like, the overworld bosses, um, or at least the the few that I, were, I actually played... Um, was one that was sort of like it sent out waves behind you at 45 degree angles. Like the, the icon is like a Y. Mm. Um, so that, that made it much easier for you to actually like move more evasively while still landing some blows on the boss. So I, I think that was a good example of like these, these weapons aren't just bigger blaster. Yeah. Yeah. Way more thought put into them than I think we're used to so far. For the most part. And there's 12 of them, which is a, a large amount. But then, as Sean mentioned, they upgrade. So there's actually, I think, technically 36 then by that. Because I think that you can each upgrade three times or something like that. Don't quote me on exactly 36. But, like, that's a ton of variations in, uh, you know, in forget about a, forget about just, like, a Zelda-like game. But in a shmup, usually in a shmup, yeah. I think the most we ever saw was, like, 12. And we were, like, kind of amazed by that right like i forget which game had that maybe it was like xanic or something but that's pretty cool that like there's so many combinations here and as joe mentioned you can compare builds with other people because you know he was talking about how he went right to the double bladed sword but um you know some people like you know need certain kind of weapons earlier but you don't need any of the weapons to actually like progress right like you could theoretically just collect the necessary amount of power chips for the upgrades to get the uh, keys that would let you go to the next... Uh, the, the shmup levels are uh, described as corridors and the Zelda-like stages are described as areas. So you could just keep going between area and corridor just doing the necessary stuff without using any of it. Yeah, it all comes down to like personal playstyle. Um, and, and your regular gun actually also upgrades too. And I think when you start to use a... Uh, sub weapon it actually downgrades um so that's also sort of adding to the balance but yeah even even your regular pea shooter can turn into a a giant like wave gun sort of thing <laughs> yeah the whole thing gives me like it's gonna sound funny but it gives me like real ratchet and clank vibes it's just like find the next uh, cool weapon upgrade it and you got you get it your whole arsenal you know figured out you're exploring this world there's there's Flying levels. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know why. Just give me Ratchet and Clank vibes. And Ratchet and Clank is one of uh, your your uh, your best ofs, right? Um, I'm a big Ratchet and Clank guy. Yes, <laughs> the Ratchet and Clank Caucus. <laughs> In the Zelda games, you get uh, those old men who give you. Sorry, Zelda one. Um, in Zelda two, <laughs> there's some wise people though in the in the town that give you clues as well. But those old men would give you... Dirty old men give you... Yeah, they, 
They would give you the clues, and those would be like hints that were very vague um, or were just very straightforward. In this game, you get hints in, in a similar way where the uh, either the shopkeepers or places that you find have these um, story beats or they have uh, how to get to the next corridor. What were we thinking about these? Were they were they straightforward enough or did it require some actual like, huh, I wonder what they meant by that? Yeah, I, I think a little bit of both. I mean, I, I there were some times where... I was like, oh, that's perfectly straightforward. I think somewhere towards the beginning, there's something that says, like, you'll need a special weapon to get through the barrier or something like that, to get through the wall. And and I was playing for a little bit, and, and I got to the next area, and there was a dead end. And then I kept playing, and I got back to that first thing, and I was like, oh, I'm supposed to use the grenades to get through that. Went all the way back through, used the grenades, and it just didn't do anything. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it wasn't as obvious as I thought, but it like it was a little bit of a head-scratcher. I was like, okay, what, what is this asking me to do? But But it was nice to... I, th- I think it was, like, a good balance. What did you end up having to do? I don't know what that was telling me to do, actually. <laughs> uh, I, I moved on, and I didn't end up figuring out what barrier they were talking about, so I, I haven't haven't done it yet. All right. But at least the game wasn't talking to you in, like, riddles, right? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't anything so cryptic or uh, a terrible translation that you couldn't figure out what to do next. But, you know, we also have the luxury of guides and... Uh, I totally went on Strategy Wiki for portions of this just to see where certain power-ups were located and stuff, and there's no shame in that. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it, the the game itself used... Um, it had a good use of the characters it was allowed where it was able to still make complete sentences, which I think is a big problem we have with other things. It's like, oh, there's only five characters? We can only use, you know, we can only make three words here? They'll get it. They'll know what we're talking about, and nobody <laughs> has any clue what it's trying to say. So this one was uh, was refreshing. It's much better than Simon's Quest in that regard. <laughs> right, right. Yes. A- and the uh, the overall objective of these humanoid uh, stages is that you have to make sure that you deactivate these 10 safety devices. Or, sorry, activate. You don't want to deactivate them. You want to activate the 10 safety devices that are in each of the areas. And, um, you know, doing that will stop the planet uh, on its course to Earth. Well, it's a self-destruct. You got blow up. Yeah, I think you are deactivating the safety devices, so you can self-destruct the planet. It's actually very unsafe. Yeah, yeah. But doesn't the game word it like you have to activate safety devices? So do they mean that they're safety devices for the player? I guess safety no. is a relative term, you know? Like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like the the evil planet, which I don't think we've described yet that like you're oh, yeah. on a planet evil. that is traveling that. towards Earth. <laughs> like an evil planet is traveling towards Earth to destroy Earth. And it wasn't planet, always evil, but over time it no, just got more it's evil. It's become evil, yes. <laughs> um and that planet has safety devices to prevent it from self-destructing and you need to deactivate it so you could self-destruct it. I believe could be wrong. Okay, that makes more sense to me. If you're going to get into the plot, though, we might as well talk about that <laughs> shocking reveal when you first become humanoid, and it has the person who previously tried to do all this, and it was like, I, I failed, but here's what the here's what you have to do. You know, like, if you're reading this, I'm dead, but yeah. here's what you need to do. And I like to think that that is, like, previous versions of The Guardian that tried to pull this off, like your other when you get game overs. That's like, oh. you go back and that's you. You're just a clone? Yeah, exactly. Like now, you know, like the next, you know, similar to like um, 
near automata where like you know the next oh, version of 2b yeah which no i don't think that's a huge spoiler i'm spoiled but overall uh you know the plot as wacky as that sounds i was into it you know giant planet hurtling towards another planet that sounds intense yeah i liked the format of like the lost log um like uh i'm yeah the whole i'm dead but you can do this i i dug that um in terms of like a uh, a form of storytelling yeah oh me too but let's get back to those self-dentonation devices for a second because that's, you know, if that's your objective, right, and that's what you want to make sure you do, um, you know, to do that and just, just to explore in general, one part that we haven't really talked about is that other than enemies and tiles, inside of each of those, uh, you know, like, tile areas that you go to, there are these, like, gray blocks uh, that you have to shoot at, and a lot of them are just nothing at all but occasionally like you know you'll shoot at one and it'll either reveal a power up or reveal a hole to another part of the area or reveal something um something else you know like, like it's just it, it's it's planted by the game like it's designed to be in those specific spots it's not random or anything even the power chips they're they're perfectly placed where they need to be but i couldn't help but feel like a lot of that got that was like the most repetitive part of the game i didn't care about like fighting enemies over and over again or anything like that i cared more about like the fact that i just have to go into these rooms and shoot these gray blocks that most of them don't even really mean anything and it just felt like i was just clearing off a stage it didn't scratch my satisfying itch you know we talk about sometimes clearing something is very satisfying this was just very tedious yeah i i felt like yeah that that was definitely like it felt like oh you just kill the enemies as a as an aside to to the real point of the game, which is like the more boring thing, just shooting these blocks. But I also felt usually, unless I just missed a bunch of things, I felt that usually the you can tell like oh, okay that one that's way over to the side in like a slightly different shade is clearly the my my objective. Whereas like I the stuff that's under like the main little blocks was always like oh if you explore you might find a cool bonus or something. Oh, absolutely. Like, there's no, you know, if it was just that the gray blocks were only for the power-ups or for the holes, then they might as well just not be there at all, right? It might as well just be, this is where the power-up is, and you see it. <laughs> but right. I, I get that. I, I just can't help feel like, you know, we we briefly talked about the length of the game, and the areas are pretty big. They only get bigger. The game only gets longer as it goes on. And I just wonder, like, you know... <laughs> Well, the okay. game gets longer. <laughs> no, I just like the idea of that. <laughs> right? No, no, you're I, right. You're I, right. I know what you mean too, but it's funny. The areas get bigger. The areas yes. get bigger. So you know, like usually, the nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> the nightmare grows. Um, <laughs> the idea of like you know, so you you take the first area, for instance, right, and that takes a good amount of time to finish, but that's the quickest area to finish. So it's only getting longer from there and i just wonder if there was like a a smoother gameplay loop not to get through these things faster but just to make exploration more exciting and less like kill the enemies shoot all the gray blocks find out if you got anything good onto the next tile yeah i i I, yeah there is a lot of repetition in this game i think that uh i'm not trying to get too uh final final ideas here with it but i do think that like the moment to moment gameplay 
is uh, is interesting enough to to handle that kind of repetition. But yeah, I, I it's this is definitely a game that needs its password system because you you I can't play this kind of game for that long of a sitting because of like those reasons. Yeah, definitely. If it didn't have like some way to save your progress, I think that this would be that would be a big mistake. It sounds like I'm threatening them, but I, I just mean it would be, it would be <laughs> no, a bad should. call on their part. <laughs> Joe, I know you didn't beat the game, but uh, it sounds like you got pretty far. In terms of length, were you starting to feel its length, or did you think like, well, because there's a password system and everything, I don't mind, you know, how long the game is because I'm enjoying the experience. Uh, the latter, definitely. I mean, I, I was, I'm still looking forward to going back to it. I, like I said, I actually didn't realize how not far I was. I thought, I, you know, I thought I had gotten decently far, but I was still like, I'm not I'm like halfway through the game, if that, based on uh, these YouTube videos. But, um, but you no, know, I'm, I'm excited to keep going back to it. But, but only because I'm, I'm able to take breaks and and pick it back up, you know. Um, but it feels like a, you know, something that you want to put a lot of time into, and it, it doesn't. Maybe later in the game, I mean, I can see it possibly starting to get, like, repetitive and, and, and more boring. But, like, right now, I'm just, like, I'm still excited to see, like, okay, what's the next what's the next thing, what's the next uh, ability I unlock? And what's the next shmup level going to look like? And what's the next boss going to look like? And, and yeah, even though the, the environments get a little samey, so far, that hasn't um, hurt me too much. Yeah, I will say that while the, the environmental design... Uh, leaves a little bit to be desired i think uh the enemy and boss designs uh make up for it pretty good like these bosses are in some cases very badass and in some cases just like really creative looking um so i'll I'll, I'll give them props on that yeah the bosses are very intimidating too uh you know like even though they can't really do too much in terms of like what they what their designs might make you think they can do. The designs alone are really something to, um, you know, to, to strike fear into the player of like, I got to take down that, you know, like we yeah. don't usually have that in NES games. No. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, it's like when you see Bowser, right? You're like, all right, I just got to like run under this guy when he jumps. <laughs> like it's, and you know, it, it could be tough sometimes. Like you don't always get it right. But it's different when you see the size of some of these bosses and the, you know, the palette too, like the the designs and the pixel art of them is really beautiful. So uh, not that it had like the best boss fights ever or anything, but it, it, they they were standouts. Yeah, and and it was uh, like the, there was consistency. Like there wasn't just like oh, there's a couple that are really cool, but the rest are kind of dog shit. Like no, they like they all feel. Like they still have some some value to them, and even some of the like uh, just mo- random mobs have some really cool designs to them. Like uh, in the first area, that you'll see these spider sort of things. It'll only be like one spider, and then if you just let it live long enough, it's going to turn to eight spiders. And if you let that live long enough, like that group live, it'll turn to like eighteen. And then you gotta like leave. Like, cause you're crying <laughs> because there's too many spiders and I think that hit too close to home, but, um, <laughs> just stuff like that where different mobs have different ways that they act too. There's enough games that we've played where mobs are mobs and maybe one takes more hits than the other, but they act exactly the same. So I appreciated that. 
Yeah, definitely refreshing to see like the level of thought put to like enemy placement and design and stuff. Yeah. Let's get into now when you're, um, you know, when your robot girl turns into her ship form and you're in the corridors that, you know, this is the shmup part of the game. You know, the I don't want to, like, start off just saying negative things about it. But the first thing I noticed, and this is why I'm bringing it up first, is that it just it felt like everything was happening, like, so fast. Uh, you know, like, maybe the screen real estate was, like, a little more limited because of the size of the sprites. Or maybe it's because they didn't, like, hide the amount of projectiles you can shoot and the amount of projectiles enemies can shoot. Like, this feels, like, way more than we're used to in our NES shmups. It actually did, at times, feel like a bullet hell. Um, yeah. An early one, at least. So I just felt like everything was happening so fast at a pace that even for, you know, like top-notch games like Gradius and Life Force, like we did not feel this level of urgency in some parts of the of the ship form. Like I, I don't want to make it seem like the whole shmup is just like you always got to be perfect or something like that. No. But even no. how the game even how the game starts off, you know, like how the game starts off, it's all happening to you very quickly. Uh, and it's almost like a relief to, like, get the break and go into the humanoid form after you take care of the corridor. I, I agree that the, the they're definitely very high energy, very difficult, very dense. Um, I think that there's a few things that sort of contribute to this. Um, one is just sort of, like, there isn't as much screen real estate because you've got this entire uh, heads-up display below. And I feel like a lot of, most shmups don't really have that much of the screen taken up by numbers um and i think the others are sort of like they're it's on purpose like there's more going on because you have a health bar and you don't need to you don't need to be perfect or like you can take more than one or two hit like two or three hits if you have like a shield and a in some of the other shmups that we've been playing so you can tank some hits and the game is like like is more difficult because of that but i think it would have been kind of silly to sort of scale that difficulty to a game that lets you take like 20 hits at a time. Um, I think that would be kind of boring. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Sean. Uh, the fact that there is a life meter and that it's replenishing too. Like, yeah, oh, yeah they're you know, very generous with that too. Yes. If that, if that yeah. wasn't the case in a bullet hell, we'd, we'd be screwed here. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I also will say that I think that, Especially in the first level, I, I I had the same feeling like wow, why is this so rapid pace? But some of that I think was a little bit of an illusion for me, like, just because the background moves so fast. But the enemies that come at you, I feel like if you were to isolate them from the background, it's not that much crazier than another schmuck. Yeah, I kind of noticed that too. Faster, but they're like there's fewer of them. So I, I thought that like the beginning of the first level was was decently balanced as far as challenge. But I will say that once I got towards the end of that first level, like just before the boss battle and the boss battle itself, where there are these things opening up from the ground and they're all shooting at you, that took me forever. Like, if I didn't have to play this for the podcast, I would have been done with the game there. I'm like, I'm not into this. This is too hard of a shmup. But, like, luck- like I didn't even know that there was more to the game. I just thought it was all going to be shmup. 
so like when I finally beat that part, I was, I was um, very surprised, pleasantly surprised at like how much more game there was. Um, but like that part almost like almost stopped me completely. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's got to be a reason why they made that so challenging. Like I'm not, I'm not saying it was the hardest thing in the whole game or anything. Obviously not. But like if that's the first thing you do as a player, right? It would be like if in Legend of Zelda. Before you get the sword, you have to take on a bunch of enemies without any weapon, right? It's like, you don't start a game like that. Like, you don't make it the hardest thing possible. So I thought it was a little strange. And I agree, Joe, it did take several tries to get through it because of, you know, just how many things are firing at you. But then it's even more odd when you get to the, um, you know, the, the, the next corridor and it's the uh, i think that's like the underwater one with the fish and stuff mm-hmm. like that <laughs> is that ringing a bell yeah the fish yeah, yep that's the second yeah. one yep. but th- no and like you know that actually starts off pretty slow like you these fish come down try to take care of them before they hit the bottom of the screen because then they'll start swimming back at you you have time to make your decisions eventually you don't have time anymore but like it kind of eased you into things more whereas i don't feel like i i didn't feel eased into the game and maybe Maybe that's a, a story thing. Like, they're just trying to, like, start on a really intense note so that you feel the urgency of your mission and everything like that. But it did it did feel off. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, like, I appreciate what they were trying to do with it. I, I do I do think, especially if your your whole game is this, is this balancing between these shmup levels and these top-down levels, uh, you probably want to get your player there, even if you want, even if you you have like a frantic opening where it's crazy and stuff like that. You probably don't want that first boss to be so tough that like some people might not even get to the next part before they write this off as a shmup. Not that like everybody else hates <laughs> shmups other than me, but um, but yeah, you you might want to like I feel like you might want to get that point across a little earlier so people kind of know what they're getting into. And I, and I will also say I do think that I mean I I faced maybe. Four or five, I think five of those shmup bosses, maybe four of them, I can't remember. But I, I think that that first boss in the shmup thing was the hardest boss I fought so far. I mean, some of them definitely got pretty challenging, but that first one is just like, uh, there's just there's like nowhere to hide. Oh, is this the uh, this is the one with the eyes that keep opening and got blown. Yeah, up. yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's literally very, like very there's like seventeen of them. Like it's not yeah. like oh you gotta hit these four spots. It does get easier as you like. As you fight the fight, because there's right. less things firing at you, but it's kind of it's that reverse difficulty curve there, right? I found that for those eye things, it did help, and this is just in general for this game with uh, you know the amount of bullets and everything. It helped to kind of like be at the bottom center, and then when like when projectiles started to overwhelm you, kind of like hug a corner and make like a make like a circle. So this way you go around all the projectiles so that they kind of go off into that corner that you were hanging out in and you come back to your uh, bottom center again. I I use that trick Mm -hmm. a lot and it seemed to work well. It doesn't work well all the time and there are certain times where, you know, you just have to understand that you're going to lose a little bit of life because you need to take down some of these enemies so that you're not constantly being hit by bullets. Yeah. Right. We kind of talked about the power-ups being, you know, like having two uses, uh, both in the humanoid form and then the ship form. But I feel like it's worth talking about the power-ups again now that you're in shmup form and just how much that helps 
these levels because I feel like, you know, not even just for the boss fights or whatever, but for when there's a lot of enemies going on screen. In particular, there's that one sub-weapon you have where it's just like a big ball. Uh, maybe it's a ball of fire or something mm-hmm. that goes around you in a circle. That was like a pretty pivotal, a pretty pivotal um, sub-weapon for me. Because it was acting as like a sponge for most of the bullets. Yeah, no, that yeah. that provided my little security blanket a lot of the time. Uh, I did end up using the one that you can kind of shoot out. Um, I don't know if that was a different weapon or like an upgraded version of that weapon, because it's sort of it's the same projectile, but instead of it always circling you, you just sort of like send that out. Um, it spirals, right? Yeah, it like sort of spirals away from you. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I like those just because, you know, I, I, I find in like a, uh, in a shmup that area of effect stuff is sort of what gets me going. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it, that was really helpful. The other one that I used a lot actually was, was actually just the, the first, well, I don't know. I think it's the first one you're intended to get. I guess you don't have to necessarily, but it's, um, it's just like a larger like ball that you fire forward. Mm, um, that's what that it is on first, the. Yeah. Okay, I, I just know it's the first one in the like slots, um, but that's what it is on the uh, overworld. It you know it fires in front of you, uh, just like a more powerful regular blaster. But on the um, in the shmup levels, your main blaster only fires forward, like in a regular shmup. But depending on which direction you're going, this weapon that I'm talking about will will fire uh... in that direction. So it was really helpful on some of the bosses that, like, shoot out some, like, smaller enemies at you, and they're coming at from the sides. So I would just be hitting A and B at the same time, always shooting forward at the boss and, like, switching left to right to kill anything that's coming at me from left to right. Um, And, like, I'm not even sure that's how they intended it, but it just gives you that level of options of, like, ways to use these things. That sounds like it was designed to do that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I mean, I guess I wasn't, I wasn't sure if it was designed to like be because then even when I was not shooting things on the side, I would just continue hitting both of them and firing them both forward. So I was just like double damaging yeah. the enemy. I mean, it probably was also designed to do that, but um, just gives you a lot of different ways to to think yeah. about how to use your weapons. If you manage to beat the game, which uh, Sean will check in on you, were you able to? No. Okay. No, me neither. No worries. So none of us managed to do it. However, if you do beat the game, you uh, you know you get the ending and everything like that, and then they uh, give you a password, just the letters T G L, which I think is really funny because the passwords are actually like pretty darn long uh, in the regular game. So the fact that you could have just known this like three Guardian letters, legend, yeah, yeah, and like had you have just put that password in. If you put that password in on the on the main screen, you don't have to like it doesn't have to detect that you've beaten the game or not. You unlock a corridor rush mode, essentially like a, a, just a version of the game oh, with just the shmup parts I like of it. That. That's cool. And what's interesting is is that the obvious thing there is like, wait a minute, uh, the power ups. Like I won't ever be able to collect any of them Do you because get all of. of them? Right. No, you get them based on your score in each um, level. So, like, okay. depending on your on your score and uh, uh, you know, as you defeat each corridor, you unlock certain power ups. So you want to score a, a you know a ton of points to get the best stuff, uh, so that you can then use those in later uh, you know in later 
levels, and it it's just a really smart That's a cool idea. Easter egg, yeah, yeah, of like a whole different way to play the game again without having to do all of the area exploration and, and not experiencing. Yeah. 70% of the game. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that I mean, that is a really good, like, indicator of how much care they put into this game. Because they could have also, like, you know, just given you all the power-ups at the beginning or just made them, like, pickups. But they, like, they like designed a different way of doing it, like... Just for like, this uh, special mode. Yeah, just for this, like, extra extra mode. And I, and I think that that kind of, like, attention to detail is apparent, like, throughout the game. Yeah, they're, they're 100%, um, I think, on the ball here in terms of understanding a lot about game design that just a lot of you know other developers just don't do when we when we complain about their games you know i think even though we had things to complain about here in the guardian legend we could appreciate a lot of the thought that went into the game itself and it's it's surprising to see stuff like that you know in 1989 regardless of who's making it joe you mentioned that you did not know about the other, you know, the the Zelda-like component of the game until you beat the shmup thing. I would argue that, like, they definitely didn't intend for that because they sold the game based on, like, they had commercials that were like, if you like Zelda 1 and Zelda 2, you'll love the Guardian Legend, which just sounds bizarre that they would have a commercial saying, (laughs) you love these other games that we didn't make, so buy our (laughs) game. But, um... You know, like, they sold it like that, but the back of the box has it, too, and the manual has it. So I gotta imagine, like, at the very least, like, the idea was in people's heads. But I kind of wish it wasn't. I kind of wish, like, (laughs) in a reverse marketing strategy, they only sold it as a shmup, or we only told people it was a shmup, you know? (laughs) Like, I feel like nobody gets to experience the Guardian legend like how you did, where all of a sudden it's like, whoa, there's a whole other game in here? mind blow, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's like the, that's like the tricky thing like line to walk i always think about that with movies and and games stuff if there's like a really cool like twist that that is revealed like early in the movie like it's really cool to have your audience experience that but also it's like well you want to sell it too though you you want people to want to go see the movie or you want people to want to play the game so like maybe if they didn't advertise for it a lot more people like me wouldn't have picked it up and now we have trailers that just tell the entire spark yeah. notes of the plot <laughs> so here's where we are 30 years later yeah we need trailers with title cards that just say "You won't believe the twist," but not reveal it. They just they just say that. <laughs> anyway, uh, on to development here. Wait, wait, uh, before we before we get into like development history, sure. have you guys seen like the box art for this game? I have. Okay, it's kind of it's kind of bland, right? Just the just like somebody's brow looking over a a desolate wasteland. Yes. Um, then there's like two others. There's the Japanese the, one. So there's okay. There's the European one, which is like uh, you know, it's the cool like space girl, and she's looking at the planet. It's it's definitely more interesting than the American version because at least like your characters on it, and we get to kind of see what that sprite looks like all painted out. But yeah, the Japanese one <laughs> is some like Lovecraftian, like H.R. Geiger inspired, like like nightmare of a of a space girl where okay but sean sean <laughs> isn't that isn't that genova it's, yeah, yeah okay it's basically i was genova. trying to figure out what that reminded me of that yeah, it's genova you're right except she's still got her head oh it's just so weird like i wouldn't have expected that like how with how colorful this game is like the 
to see this very like forlorn uh like sad like messed up nightmare of a woman <laughs> uh, yeah like cords coming out of her head yeah. and everything and like she doesn't uh, look like she's happy to be there but um i just thought that was really that that was really interesting <laughs> well you'll be pleased to know that was in my show notes okay <laughs> you know i have an extra thought too before we move on Please. Uh, this is like a little bit of a weird aside, but I, I just appreciate that in this game, I think this is the manual where it says how to play. I think it's the most concise, but most descriptive and like explanatory, uh, like couple of paragraphs on how to play that we've seen. It's literally just three small, short little paragraphs. And it just like after reading, I'm like, oh, okay, I know exactly what I have to do for the whole game. Like I didn't obviously didn't read it before I uh, started playing, or else I would know what the game was all about. But it's just like it, I, I I think that the, a lot of our, our uh, manual writers could take a leaf out of this book and like simplify things and, and make sure you you understand exactly what's going to happen here. It is a breath of fresh air compared to a lot of like the really cringy manuals that we've been reading that that just assume that you don't know how to hold a controller. And it's been <laughs> right, it's been right. five years now, like five, yeah. yeah. So I think I think we could and, figure know. it out. Yeah, and they also go get into like greater detail and stuff later, and they get into the lore stuff. But it's just like there's just that one section how to play, and it just tells you everything you need to know in in twenty seconds. Yeah, there there's also a beautiful picture of the planet in the manual that like explains like it you know it has like the it carves into it a little bit to show you like the interior and stuff, and it explains like <laughs> you have a cutout. The yeah, like the labyrinth. The yeah, the dungeon, the labyrinth, but also it shows like the you know the exhaust where uh, you know like how it's able to to travel at rapid speed towards earth like you can see it's like a little rocket ship as well star killer yeah. base vibes <laughs> it also kind of looks like one of those things you'd have in like your your like earth science book that teaches you about like the layers of the earth there's like, the, the mantle and, and the inner yeah <laughs> the inner core and the outer core yeah but the the picture to the to the left of that on page three it's just it's got like the lore on it and it's got this like it's just like a beautiful haunting artwork, you know, of like of what this planet must look like on its surface. I don't know. I, I like it. I like the aesthetic that it all sets up. It's very aesthetic. So to move on to development, uh, we mentioned this was made by uh, Compile, the uh, legendary shmup developers. They made Zanuck. Uh, on the NES, which we've just talked about today. And they also, uh, last time, I think when we talked about Zanuck, we talked about uh, Puyo Puyo, which none of you guys care about, but that's another thing that Compile made. And, uh, you know, they're still making Puyo Puyo games. Mm -hmm. All right, never mind. Anyway, it was also, (laughs) it was published by Broderbund, and we haven't seen those guys since 1987. Do you remember Broderbund? Wasn't that right at Bungling Bay? That is Raid on Bungling Bay, that is Spelunker, that is Load Runner, and unfortunately, Deadly Towers. Oof. <laughs> Big oof. Oh, yeah, you're right. I remember that name on there. So there's just something about them as a publisher that, like, they, I feel like they really take a chance on developers, you know, who make interesting games and stuff like that, because I, I think, like, you know, Load Runner was an indie dev, uh, pretty much made by himself, and same thing with Raid on Bungling Bay was made by um, uh, William Wright, who wound up making SimCity and all that. 
So like that, that's really cool that like they they go for developers. And I think Compile is just like another one that they were like, yeah, like they're making great games over in Japan. Like, of course, we want to bring this over to the states. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I think they've got like a, a little bit of like a boom or bust sort of like risk reward situation going on. Oh, for sure. Where it's like, yeah, William Wright. It's funny. They hear hear the full name. <laughs> Yeah, did I get that right though? Like I was, I was no, yeah, it's, about it's Will, it's Will right. right. It's just, uh, it's I've never heard him called William Wright, <laughs> <laughs> Sir William Wright. If you Sir will. William Wright, mm-hmm. and he will be right. <laughs> uh, the sequels and spinoff section here. Um, not much, to, not much to say, but apparently this is a sequel to a 1986 MSX game. Known as Gardic, and I think you can tell Sean based on the Japanese box art that the game is called The Legend of Gardic. Yeah, and, you know, and so this was just Gardic uh, was the first game. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on it. I'm pretty sure Gardic is just a shmup. It doesn't have the uh, action adventure element to it. So this was a pretty ambitious sequel of like, well, we made a great shmup. What if we also created a whole like other game inside of it so i think that's a cool idea and it's probably if you liked the guardian legend a lot it's probably worth it to try and like see what gardic did that they thought like oh we could improve this yeah i'm trying to find uh it seems to be so wrapped up with the uh okay here's some stuff yeah i'll have to check this out for sure now there were no other sequels for this game even though it itself is a sequel there's nothing after that Compile never touched the game again, but I have it on good authority that if you're looking for something as specific in genre as this, a game where you are in one element, a shmup, and then another element, uh, basically like a top-down game, uh, top-down adventure game, then may I recommend Super Star Force for the Famicom. So it's another, you know, it's like in the same thing. It never came over to the States, but... Famicom is close enough, so if you're looking for like another game to scratch that itch, Super Star Force. You guys will remember we played Star Force. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, we never got the Super version. And whenever I hear Super in front of a game, other than Super Mario Brothers, I always assume it's going to be a Super Famicom or Super NES game, right? Like, you never think, like, oh, that's on the NES, but it says Super? Yeah, I, yeah. I have the same the same thing. Even after you said Famicom and then you said... uh, uh Super Star Force. I was like, oh, yeah, Super, Super Nintendo. And I was like, wait, no, that's not what you said. <laughs> and if you're looking for something a little more advanced, may I recommend Sigma Star Saga on the Game Boy Advance, which also is a very similar Guardian Legend-inspired game. Fun. So maybe, maybe, maybe who knows? Maybe one day we'll play Super Star Force when we journey over to the Famicom side of things. And when we get to the Game Boy Advance games in uh, 3040, <laughs> we will uh, play Sigma Star Saga. I can't wait. I know what you can't wait for, really, though, Sean. And that... Don't, don't assume. ...is whether or not the Guardian Legend will be on our Essential Games list. And we determine that on a little thing we like to call <laughs> the Essential Games list. <laughs> Sean, please. Okay, I'll stop. No, please, please give us your vote. Oh, um, okay. Guardian Legend. Uh, I was very pleasantly surprised 
by this game. Uh, again, one of those that I, I'm surprised I'd never heard of. Uh, I, I really like all the cool mashup stuff they got. The, the, the number one thing for me was this, like, this huge arsenal that can be used in two different, um, two different, like, settings, whether it's the, the shmup or the action adventure. Uh, I think it's got a really cool and finally coherent sort of story, even though it's still a little silly. Uh, a lot of the issues that I have with it are, are easy to ignore because the core gameplay loop still holds up and you don't need to play this game from beginning to end and and you're in fact discouraged from doing so um because it is a very long game uh but i have to say that this is so unique and so well executed aside from some uh some nitpicks that i'm gonna put this on the essential games list all right that is one vote for it joe if you vote yes then it is on the essential games list. If you vote no, then it still has a chance, uh, thanks to me. So uh, I will actually go first, Joe. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then, what you said is not true, right? Uh, okay. And it was a whole waste go. of everybody's Please time. Please go. So Mike wants to be the the, the guy. Yeah, that that's fine. Things. He never gets to be. Huh, he never, he gets, never gets, to gets to do it. Uh, okay. So I, I like how you say I want to be the guy, as if you think that you can predict how I'm about to vote. I have a feeling. Huh, interesting. All right. Well, here's the scoop on the Guardian Legend in terms of, like, you know, we play these games a little bit further out than the day that we record them, right? We're not playing them the morning of. We've been playing them for a while, so... Oh, yeah, totally never done that. <laughs> when I played the Guardian Legend for the first time, I was I was really uh, enamored by the uniqueness of the game like like sean said you know it's it's very interesting how there's nothing else like this and so you gotta like consider that immediately like wow there's there hasn't been anything like this yet and if there has it hasn't been like this you know so like even if something mixes genres this is like really mixing genres to the point where you're basically getting two games in one at the end of the day so i like that about it but i can't help but feel like throughout the entire time that we've been having the podcast that the game doesn't really play as smoothly as we're describing. All the things that we praised deserve praise, and all the things that we nitpicked are totally things that I think a lot of people who have played the game would agree with those nitpicks. You know, there's something about, like, if this game didn't have a password system, or it really should have a battery, like, it should have been able to save. If it didn't have that, I feel like this game would be dead on arrival, just because, not even just because of its length, but just because of what it's asking you to do and how much of it it's asking you to do and the repetitive nature of it. But the fact that you can like say, all right, I did this area today, I'll come back tomorrow, uh, is nice and has a bit of a more modern feel to it than a lot of NES games we play, even if they have passwords. Like Something about the way this game breaks up the difference between area and corridors felt nice. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, is like, as I continued to play the game, I kept flip-flopping. Do I want do I want this to be on the essential games list or not? Are the nitpicks like enough? You know, it's kind of weird to to discredit a game based on nitpicks, right? We should have some overall negative concern to take it off. And before we recorded the episode, I figured out what I was going to do, and so I'm going to do what my heart tells me, and I'm going to put it on the essential games list because at the end of the day. I feel like this got enough of the shmup aspect right and the action adventure aspect. Like if it's 
if it's 90% a great game in both of those different genres, then this is absolutely a must-play for anybody. I'm not sold that, like, everyone is going to love this game. And I'm sure some people are turned off by either the length or the difficulty or the repetitiveness of it. But, you know, if you're going through the NES catalog and you skip this one, then you've actually missed something. You've, you've actually missed a game that is, yeah, that is worth <laughs> playing. So, uh, for, for that reason, it's on the Essential Games list. And I'm sorry to steal the thunder, Joe, but you can still vote and still make a meaningful impact. So what will yeah, your yeah, vote I'll, be? I'll give my, my worthless vote now. Um, <laughs> is this what you feel like all the time? I, I feel bad now. I'm like, well, this has got this. I got no power. Um, <laughs> yes, that is exactly what it is. <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I I will say that when I was when I was a kid, and I and I would and I had just a few NES games, and I would think about all the the giant library of NES games out there. And even just before we started this podcast, when I wanted to go to like back to NES games. I was always looking for like, oh, like I can just pick up any random NES game and there's a good chance it's going to be like something I never heard of, but this like crazy cool adventure that I like I can just get super absorbed into. Like like a book, you know? It's like, oh, I can pick up a good book and there's a good chance I'll be very interested in that story. Um, and since we started this podcast, it, it turns out that there's not a lot of games that like nobody's ever heard of that like are like, wow, this is, blows me away. But once in a while, there's there's an exception, and, and this really is one of those exceptions. Like this feels like what I always wanted. Like when you just pick a random game, because when I when I went into this, uh, you know, I was just like, okay, like another, you know, we got a whole slew of games that nobody's ever heard of, kind of kind of all close together. So like, oh, it's gonna be a while before we play a good game again. And and I think this is like the second or third time in, in that slew that I've been proven wrong. Um, and, and I will say that for me, my desire to put this on the the essential games list has only grew the more i played this game so like when it when it started it was almost at zero and then like as i started like getting power-ups and and learning new things like i I was just more and more hyped about this game and i I really this is a because then there was a period of time where i was like okay this is good but it's not as great as like some of the other games you have on there but like i'd almost match it up with some some things like blaster master and stuff maybe not quite that much but like I think that this is a this is a game you shouldn't miss. So I will definitely uh, make it a uh, unanimous vote and and throw this on the essential games list. All right, very exciting. Three yays, and uh, we'll be sure to get Sam's opinion uh, the next time he's able to make it onto the show. However, I think the big takeaway that all three of us kind of said here is like you'd be missing something if you didn't play this one. And I definitely felt like you know if after having played it. If I, you know, this sounds crazy, but if I never, if I miss this one, right, if as we continue this chronological exploration, it it feels strange if eventually, like, we completed all the games and then you found out that you, like, oh, there's still some good ones out there. Like, this is what it's all about. This is why we play them in order and everything like that and give each of them a fair shot because you never know when you're going to come across something like this. And I'm not going to pretend, like, you know, you guys who listen to the show and know all the NES games and grew up with them that like the Guardian Legend is some hidden gem. You guys might think it's obvious, right? I'm talking we're I think we're all three of us are talking about like if you've never really been familiar with the NES, you hear about games like Super Mario Brothers 3 and Legend of Zelda and Kirby's Adventure. You don't hear about the Guardian Legend, let's be honest. And so I think it's time that like a lot more people got that spotlight uh, on a game like this and just also saw what else was out there like hey 
I think I'm actually going to go check out Super Star Force and Sigma Star Saga now, just because it's weird to think that there's this whole other type of, of game out there that I've never played before, and now there's two other ones I can check out. Any other thoughts, guys? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to sort of follow up with what you said and sort of address the audience and saying, like, it's cool that you guys are here now and that you guys have played these games before, but this podcast is really designed to be listened to 20 years from now for, like, you know, the Gen Z crowd when they're, like, in their 40s or something uh, so that they can discover things, you know? Like, we're really talking to them. Yeah, I mean, the whole intention of the podcast is really actually to eventually make it available only offline in a time capsule in with cassette tapes <laughs> that we will bury and not allow anybody access to until 2300 um, when the Lions have taken over the world. And then this way the Lions and that, can that, figure that, out what the good NES games are. Like, what are the best what, NES games to, in the... In the uh, like from from a, a mindset of like the the mid twenty twenties, you know, the early twenty twenties. Yeah, and also according to you know what you said before, Mike, that 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 means that this time capsule will be opened back up a thousand you know, hundreds of years before we start playing Game Boy Advance games. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We will actually, uh, as an anniversary for when we start reviewing. Um, Game Boy Advance games, we will hold a 700th anniversary time capsule spectacular <laughs> when we get to the Game Boy Advance games. Yeah, it'll be great. It'll be us and the Lions. <laughs> yeah, just that's all they they only spared the three of us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's totally what happened at the end of Well, I Red 13's not a lion, right? Uh, he's yeah. like a he's like a cat dog thing. He's not a cat dog. He's a cat dog. That's what they based the Nickelodeon hit show off of. I'd say, I don't know. He's He's got feline and canine characteristics. I, I actually don't know. Yeah, I'd give him like, yeah, some kind of like, yeah, you're right. He's like wolf. He's like a wolf tiger. Yeah. A wiger. <laughs> yeah, that's what they call them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I just couldn't help but feel like, you know, it'll be me, you, Joe, and Red 13 uh, 500, years, 500 years from now. <laughs> well, what happened to Sam? Oh, well, he couldn't make it to the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, there's going to be plenty more episodes of this show. Don't you worry. Next week, Legacy of the Wizard. Uh, A couple episodes back, I predicted that that was going to be a game uh, uh, where we hear the story of the only wizard that ever exists because it's the legacy of the wizard. Now, that was a bad joke, and uh, most of my jokes are bad. So, Sean, tell us one funny joke before we go, and make it related to our Twitter. (laughs) Okay. Uh, What do you call um, a young professional uh, that has stopped doing work and instead records his thoughts on uh, on old (laughs) NES games on the Internet? I don't know. What? At... Michael Esposito film uh, at twitter.com slash nostalgiacast. Close enough. It's at <laughs> nostalgiacast it is the Twitter. <laughs> we post there all the time. People uh, tweeted us, and we are very prompt to respond back. So it's amazing, guys, how, how quickly we can respond to you. So why don't you respond back faster? We have been... We have been described as uh, just being very on time, if nothing else. Yes, uh, promptness is what we're known for in every single review that we have. Every positive review of the podcast always mentions how prompt we are 
Even the <laughs> negative ones they mentioned that were prompt. I'm Michael Esposito. You can find me at Esposito Film on Twitter, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.